Oh, try as you may, but there is no padlock, there is no key, there is no contraption uh, that will keep Guardians of the Future from going on, despite a lockout in Major League Baseball. Uh, we are here regardless, and if you're here with us, thank you so much. And if you're not, well, check back in when the season starts, I guess, whenever that might be. Uh, I'm Justin Latham, and joined by Willie Hood, we are... Oh, what? We're not quite a week into it. We're we're going on what five days now, Willie? How you doing so far? I feel locked in. I mean, they're saying we're locked <laughs> out. I feel locked in, man. Like I'm just locked in a cage in a corner somewhere. I have nowhere to go, nothing <laughs> to do. I mean, it's not like there's games being played right now, anyways. So, what are we really losing besides time in the off season and wasted time watching for headlines that don't come until February for this organization usually? Yeah, you could you can go to MLB Network and watch games from 2011. I actually have on right now a Angels and White Sox game from 2011, or you can watch Brewster's Millions for the 50th time, or you can watch Trouble with the Curve, which, by the way, is a terrible movie, I thought. Um, every time they play that, it makes me have convulsions because it's so awful. I think I'll watch uh, a video yeah, of the next draft class instead, Justin, or, that's or at least some minor league games from this past season. Yeah, do that. I, looking to the future is always a good way to go because you know what? That, that's I think that's why I love prospects so much because when you're when you're talking about prospects of the draft, the future is there's no there's no finality to it. The future can be whatever you want it to be, and it's unfinished. It's exciting. You don't know how it ends, so I think there's some sense of uh, excitement there that you don't know how it's going to turn out, but the, end, the possibilities are endless. That's why. I've always been attracted to this line of work, but that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the future. Cause that's all we pretty much do here. Yeah. Having that hope that this guy's going to pan out anticipation yeah. that, Hey, they're going to make their debut this year, or they're going to get to double a, or they're going to bring in this new catcher or new pitcher, or whoever it is, they get in the draft, a shortstop, like 36 of them. Um, but I, I think that's it for me is hope and anticipation. It's what makes me seek out and spend time, really bank a lot of time watching video, YouTube video and, and minor leaguers. A lot of draft stuff for me, though. You know that about me. Um, I mm-hmm. like to know the guys as they come in at the very lowest level, and then it gives me a general concept of who they are over the course of their minor league careers with the org. Yeah, and that's why we are Guardians of the Future. That's why our, our podcast is so aptly named. Um, that's why we, you know, if you haven't been to the site, we are GuardiansBaseballInsider.com now, and our new Twitter handle uh, is official underscore CGBI, Cleveland Guardians Baseball Insider. Uh, all that fun stuff. We'd love if you wanted to join the site as an insider to check out all of our stuff. I know. I know Willie is going to be focused on the draft here soon, but when the calendar turns to January, we will uh, be setting our sights on another top prospect rankings and reports. So we'll have that going again pretty soon. It's almost time to start looking at that. And we got the prospect pieces in the works too. Um, let's, let's do a little lockout talk. I know if people um, are a little bit nauseated by it or they just can't stand the argument, I understand that. And if this is not 
something you want to talk about, I would just fast forward about 20 minutes or, um, you know, come back and listen to a future episode. I will say uh, I do want to have uh, a writer on here. I, I tried it. I reached out to a couple of writers. I haven't heard back yet, uh, but I would love to have somebody who's covering the lockout actively to come on and talk about it because um, they have a little bit more knowledge than we do. And somebody who's close to it and can speak to it, maybe in an unbiased perspective, I think would be helpful. So that might be a future episode. We'll see what happens. But um, my biggest thing, one, one of the, I think some of the fans I see on Twitter who have got, who have responded to stuff and I've, I've been careful not to share too much lockout information on my Twitter. Cause like I said, I do think it's overwhelming, not overwhelming, but it's, it's just very annoying and it's too much for, for what it is. I guess there's just too much of it. And but the response I have seen, Willie, is that some people think that it, I mean, okay, I, I don't agree with the millionaires versus billionaires argument. I think Travis Sawchick of The Score, um, somebody I'm hoping to have on the podcast, <clears throat> wrote that there's a large percentage of baseball players who have played previously or will play that will never be millionaires, um, no matter how, you know, no matter who they are. Uh, they might just never will be because they won't get to that point in their career. So a lot of percentage of players never become millionaires. So you're, while you're talking about the, the high paid guys are sitting at the table, talking to the billionaires, um, the majority of the people that play are not millionaires. And the framing argument I've seen some, from some people is that <clears throat> they're not fighting for those people. It feels like they're fighting. The 1% are fighting the 1%. It doesn't feel like they're fighting for the 99% of the players, the guys who um, are never going to be millionaires or the minor leaguers, especially. So, I think some people are turned off by the fact that it's it feels like the one percent versus the one percent, and the the players are not fighting for the low the middle class of players, which they've been squeezed out of baseball. What's your what is your feeling on that, Willie? You know, you and I talked about this um, via DMs the other day, and I think you put it well, referring to sports being a microcosm. I think it was of what society looks like. And I don't want to get into all of that because it probably opens the door to politics and all of this other stuff. Um, but look at your representation. It's some of the richest players, some of the guys who've had long respected guys, but they've had long careers and they've made a lot of money. Who's there representing the guys who are marginal roster guys who are going to get their cup of coffee and spend a year or two in the big leagues, but wash out as some people think of them, um, anyone that makes it to the big leagues, in my opinion, is successful. And that's a huge hurdle for them to get there to begin with. And there's a number of reasons why people's careers just don't pan out as professional baseball players. Um, but I think they're, the minor leaguers are definitely underrepresented because they're not represented at the table. Um, I saw somebody say the other day, and I don't think it's an accurate description, because it said either you're for an owner like Dolan or you're uh, for the players. It's one or the other, but it's not both. I'm, I'm for both. I want the owners to make a respectable, a respectable amount. I've also seen where <clears throat> it appears that owners are making more now than ever. Um, I don't know. I'm curious if it's just the rich be get, getting richer when you have a team like the Dodgers making almost $200 million more in TV revenue than a team like Cleveland. Um, you know, yes, Cleveland's deal is expiring soon, and we'll get into all of that in a little bit. 
but it just feels like the the elites are kind of taking care of themselves and even so with the players the elite players are looking out for the elite players the minor leaguers have no representation i from my understanding there is a effort to raise the minimum salaries uh pre arbitration for guys which i think is a great idea. I think it should be a lot higher. I think their salary should start almost double what they are right now anyways, and then escalate each year um, to they get to arbitration. That that also changes arbitration and, and the values of all the future contracts and, and all of it. If you just suddenly boost guys $500,000 or whatever the number would be, but I think that's something that baseball could handle and should be able to handle. Um, it's just frustrating that uh, as a Guardians fan, in an off season when we want to see movement and get excited and get behind the brand, um, now it feels like that's being delayed. But the truth is, this team has always waited and probably isn't going to veer from what's made them successful. So I try to keep that in mind, too, at the same time. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. That, that is the hard part about this. And we've talked about this in the, pa- in the past few p- episodes that <clears throat> this should have been an exciting offseason for Cleveland. You know, they have they have a lot of prospect capital. They have a lot of players they can deal from if they want to make a big move. And, you know, Chris Antonetti did mention payroll flexibility, whether that comes to fruition or not or how that pans out. But, you know, he did make it seem like they were in a position to make a move forward and the payroll cutting was done. So this should have been a good offseason. And, it could have been. It still can be. It's not like it's over. And that's the thing I want to get to, but not right now, but I have that on the list. Um, the offseason is not over, but I, I will say you're right. It is a microcosm, and it's just so complex. Like, for people to say it's millionaires versus billionaires, it's, it's a little bit too too generic. And the way you framed it of, you know, either you're for the players or for an owner like Dolan, you're not both. Like, not everything in life is black and white, you know. There's there's just a lot of gray area and there's a lot of context to things. You can't make everything out to be a a binary this or that. And I think we can see based on what other sports do. Like, yeah, there's a salary cap in other sports, and here here's the biggest issue to me because I had some people who saw this on the news when it happened last week. Um, you know, they, they were people who are like our just casual sports fans who don't really like pay attention hardcore like we do, but they saw the news. There was a lockout, and they were like, "Hey, what is this like?" Do you know what's going on? And I said, I broke it down to basically three arguments. One is that, um, yeah, the middle class of players is being squeezed out of baseball. Like I, I looked back at a player like Chris Carter. Chris Carter, the hitter from Milwaukee, hit 41 home runs in 2016, and he was designated for assignment. Or, I'm sorry, he was non-tendered. Now, yeah, Chris Carter is not a great player. He's probably not a great example. He doesn't have a ton of value, but, you know, he hit 41 homers in 2016. He had a a 113 WRC plus, but whatever he was projected to get in our, in arbitration from Milwaukee, they were like, mm, or maybe it was Houston. It was one of those two. I think it was Milwaukee. But everyone's like, Oh, well, you know, we don't have to pay him six or $7 million because he's not worth that. But that's the problem. Like, yeah, maybe that guy's not worth it, but is he so bad that he has to be <clears throat> cut off your roster? So you don't have to pay him. And then he has to go get a minor league contract. Like, Explain to me how a player who hits 41 home runs is age 29 season and is an above average run producer <clears throat> in terms of, you know, way to runs created plus. How is that guy not worth more than a minor league deal? That's the problem. That's where you say there's collusion with the owners. So we're not talking about 
you know, the Corey Seegers, the Francisco Lindors, like, yeah, we all know they make their money. And that's why you're talking about they're the ones at the table making the arguments, which is ridiculous. I'm talking about players like this. This is the guy that's not represented. Um, you're Greg Allen's, the guy who's been up and down a hundred times. You're Justin Garza's, those guys that are just like all the guys that play for Tampa Bay, those guys that they shuttle up and down from, from D- Durham to Tampa Bay. Those guys don't, even though they're on the, even though they're on the 40 man roster, they're part of the players association. They don't have a seat at the table as much as you might think, because fans, and I, I can't disagree. I, I don't feel like the players are fighting for them. I feel like they're fighting for more money to be had by the better players. And that's fine. That's fine. Um, the owners have the money. There's no doubt the owners have the money. We know that revenues are as high as they've ever been. And and look look at Texas. Texas was saying, I, well, I don't know if Texas said this, but think of all the teams, Willie, in 2020 that claim they lost money because of the pandemic. They probably did. But then you have teams like the Rangers who went out and signed Marcus Semien and Corey Seager to over $500 million in money. You're telling me these are people that say they lost money? The money's there. And <clears throat> my real argument to it was this. If you're, let's say you're working for a company and you happen to know their revenue, you happen to know how much they brought in last year. And, you know, a company is nothing without its workers because then they can't make the money without the workers. You know, they don't have people to work. If you find out you're only making, I don't know, 10, 20% of this, yeah, you're going to get upset. You're going to say, why Why is this person who owns the business entitled to 99% of the money when, you know, the, the majority of us do all the work that keeps it going? It should be, I'm not saying it needs to be 50-50 split. I don't think any sports are 50-50 split. But if you work anywhere and you find out you're not getting a, a what you think is a fair compensation of your work based on the overall money, I know it's hard to think about because, you know, most baseball players make more than the rest of us ever will in our lifetime, but you're not talking about the money. You're talking about the percentage of the money. And I get why they're arguing for that. But the thing is other, other sports like the NBA and the NFL, they all have better revenue sharing deals. And the revenue sharing deal for those sports is that correct me if I'm wrong, if you know this, Willie, um, I think the owners in those leagues have to share their books. So the players association knows how much money the, the league brought in, the teams brought in. So they know how much they're owed through revenue sharing. Where in baseball, Everything's private. You have no idea. I think that's the problem is you need the owners to open their books to say how much they're making, have a revenue sharing model that makes the most sense for both parties, even if it's not 50, 50, but I, I want to say baseball is the only sport where it doesn't work like that. Am I wrong? Or do you have any idea? Uh, From my understanding, you're right. Um, And I've really harped on that NFL having an equal share with the TV revenue and that gets into the RSNs, the regional sports network and, and a lot of confusing stuff for some people. But, um, you know, like I said, when there's such a huge gap between clubs, no wonder why an organization can afford to take risk of signing a guy to a high dollar premium contract for a long period of time. When you know that you have that money behind you, um, you have that income coming in. And I think that's part of it. But I'll also point out all this money that's been spent this offseason, a lot of it isn't being paid this season. It's being paid in future right. years. Some of it will some of the guys will get signing bonuses, but it's also because these TV deals are escalating. Teams are starting to get more and more and more. And you know, that is really where 
Cleveland could get stuck in the crosshairs, so to speak. And, and I've talked ad nauseum about Valley Sports and Sinclair and the issue with Cleveland um, and how Cleveland could get kind of left at the altar standing there um, waiting or looking for something to happen next year, even with Valley Sports. Who knows if Valley Sports is still going to exist at this point in time? And what does that mean for 2023 when they have no contract? You know, is there going to be a, I'm sure there'll be somebody step up to the plate, but who is it that wants to broadcast the Guardians games? They they have great viewership. I mean, that's not an issue, but will they have to create a new sports channel or a network or will they have to join another set or, or what is it? And the NFL, you don't have those worries. Everyone is broadcast on nationally televised game, which is another issue with Major League Baseball because you only have a few nationally televised games every day. Um, if that, you have one on Saturday, usually that's it. Yeah, and maybe a Sunday game or a, maybe an occasional Braves game that you catch on TBS or TBN, TNT or whatever it is. Um, but I think that when you have such disparity between organizations too, that, that leads to a lot of it. And of course, larger markets are going to sell more merchandise. So you have more people to sell to. Um, I think that's where you have to bring the TV deals back in into conversation. And, and with Major League Baseball, I don't feel like that's going to be a talking point for a long time to come. Um, maybe it needs to change, but it directly impacts the payroll. If Let's say Bally Sports folds before opening day. That's $47 million the Guardians aren't going to receive next year. I don't know if they've planned to not receive that money or what, but how is that going to be offset? Is Are the games going to be televised? What's going to happen? You know, none of us know. And really that can't be a good position for them to realize that, Hey, we're the fifth most viewed team in all of baseball yet. We can't be viewed now. Right. Yeah. They had, and I, I went back fan graphs a year ago when the lock or the lockout, the pandemic had shut the season down. Um, Craig Edwards, who now works for the players association had a good article on fan graphs, just going through, the TV deals and it did say Cleveland's was set to expire in 2023. So I would assume that is correct. So we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, they're, they're one of the best, they have some of the best ratings in baseball and among TV, among TV viewership. And, and they're only getting, I should say quote only getting 400 million or $40 million a year. But whenever that deal was signed in 2013, I can't remember if it was a good deal or a bad deal at the time. But it's certainly bad now because um, the Rays make double that yearly in their TV deal now. So that tells you how far behind the te- the Guardians are on on um, what they're making for a TV deal. The, and that, in, that I think the Royals, for perspective, are are at sixty million dollars per year. So they're a little bit more, but not a ton. Yeah, $20 million is still, imagine if this team decided to spend $20 million on players this offseason, in addition to what they are already planning on spending. Suddenly, you're talking maybe a payroll of $100,000 next year, or $100,000, $100 million. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Every day, it's like uh, Cal Quantrill is going to have to pitch, or not even, he's arbitration eligible. Who, who would it be? <laughs> Tristan McKenzie got the pitch next year, every game next year. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that impacts 
what teams are willing to spend as far as when TV deals. And I, I will say, I didn't plan to get into this, but I will say for the fans that have continually harped and saying, you know, you know, I don't want to get into a Dolan's cheap conversation, but I'm going to look at it this way. The Royals have always consistently signed some free agents. I mean, uh, they have locked up some of their own players long-term at times. They, you know, they just signed Sal Perez to a large extension. They went out, they signed Carlos Santana. They made a couple other moves previously. Um, you can, I don't know. The White Sox are the White Sox. They're a Chicago team. They're different, I think, a little bit. The Tigers just, you know, they, they spend money every so often. You know, they they had a really high inflated payroll when they were good, and it didn't work out, obviously. I think <laughs> when you spend that money, you might as well spend it wisely. I feel like they haven't done it wisely, but they've still spent the money. The Twins, you know, they went out and signed Josh Donaldson. They've made other free agent moves in the past. And now now you have the Tampa Bay Rays, like you just said. Their deals, you know, their deals twice that. They just went out and signed Wander Franco to a 10-year deal. And and I know there'll be some some arguments to say, well, they'll probably trade him before he gets all that money. And he might. They might decide to trade him because I think or, he can be a free agent. Or they may be at age 30. That they move to another city. That there generates could be a lot that. more interest. I mean, there, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of ramifications in that. You're right. But, you know, they, they signed that deal. And here's Cleveland. Cleveland has not committed more than $60 million to one player ever. Uh, that that Edwin Encarnacion deal that was three years, sixty million, which they didn't even pay all three years because they traded him. Um, you know they they that's the largest they've ever gone. So I can see that that frustration, and I can see why. Like I think we both agree. What the payroll was like fifty five million last year or something like that. Um, fifty nine. If you yeah, if you, oh, yeah. if you do all the calculations the way that CPAs do, you're supposed for the clubs, to. Um, you have to include the opt-outs. I've got Cleveland at $56 million. I know that's a little bit higher than what some people are saying, but it's because I have to include the opt-out for Jose Ramirez at the end of the year, which is never going to get it paid. But it, it's a – call it just a trick with numbers. Um, but every team does that, and Cleveland's one of the ones that do. You know, Like I said, every team does that. Every team will include the options that they're paying out at the end of the season, and Cleveland – includes Jose Ramirez's $3 million option into that figure, which artificially boosts it and it makes it look a little bit higher than what it is. But every organization in baseball does it. It's the way that they account for the money that they're going to spend during the season. Yeah. And if anybody, if you're, if you're out there listening to this, if you see any of those tweets that says, Oh, Max Scherzer is going to make more than the entire Cleveland payroll. Don't believe that because those calculations do not figure in arbitration because arbitration hasn't been figured yet. Um, because obviously the cases haven't happened and they won't. There's, until the- there's projected about 24 to $25 million in arbitration cases this year. Now that's up for Cleveland from $8 million last season. Yes. I've done the background work cause I've done the payroll for the website. So I, you know, I'm familiar with the numbers. I've already crunched the numbers on it and that's a pretty significant jump. What is that triple? Um, yeah. And that's going to put through payroll right about where they were last year. And then you have Chris Antonetti saying that, Hey, we've got some payroll flexibility makes me think maybe they could be players in, in the off season on somebody that's available in trades or a couple of players that's available in trades. Um, we all know that Cleveland likes to bring in guys with plenty of service time, but it may also mean bringing in some guys that are bridges to the future. Um, some guys that have a couple of years of, uh, remaining on their contracts, you know? So I, uh, I, th- I think there is payroll flexibility here. 
how much, who knows, but I think it's good that the Guardians got a warm response right away with the merching with the merchandise whenever they launched it. I just wish that we could be buying Matt Olson jerseys or Brian Reynolds jerseys or and I know those are all pipe dreams. Um but let me dream for a few minutes, guys. It's all I got right now. I'm locked in a cage yeah. or locked out anyways. <laughs> yeah, really. Um I mean yeah that, again that's the hard part about this new brand is they haven't had an opportunity to do anything. And some people some people say they had an opportunity. And that's that's nothing I wanted to get to is people were saying how upset they were that Cleveland didn't make any kind of moves before the lockout ended. And I will say there was a lot of activity before the lockout. I'm not sure why, honestly, why that happened. Um, it's, I think it is hard to say why they decided to, why a bunch of all the offers were out there. Maybe it was an attempt to get ahead of the new CBA. Look, I don't know, but um, this off season, except for the fact that a lot of teams, you know, I shouldn't say a lot, a few, Texas and uh, um, gosh, who else made moves? I guess the, the Angels the Mets, signed a couple. The Mariners yeah, made okay. the, the Marlins. Yeah, the, yeah. so a couple teams made some moves. Like the Red Sox, the Red Sox most notable addition was trading for Jackie Bradley Jr. and some prospects. That was their big move. The Yankees did nothing. Um, even the, so a lot of the big clubs have done nothing. So I will say the, the Dodgers spent $2 million and so did the Yankees, or I'm sorry, the Dodgers was, spent $7 million and the Yankees spent $2 million. Well, the Dodgers did bring Chris Taylor back, which is good for them. Which oh yeah, that's, that's right. I forgot our, about that. That was the last moment thing. Yeah. That's a guy off our list that we, we thought Cleveland would go after, but he ended up getting to, I think more money than well, I think you and I, have, you and I agreed that he was never leaving Los Angeles. Yeah, no, there was no way that was ever going to happen, no matter what, um, especially after they lost Corey Seager. Um, but, you know, outside of looking at uh, the activity, okay, so typically baseball is so dead between the end of the World Series and before the winter meetings. Almost nothing happens except for, you know, your usual picking up player options and and Rule 5 protection, all that stuff. Um Maybe there's some trades. And even the winter meetings, which, by the way, the winter meetings would have started this week. How great, even though the winter meetings have been pretty much uh, a big nothing burger for like the last five or six years. Nothing ever <laughs> happens there anymore. The, mo- the most exciting about the rule- about the winter meetings anymore is the Rule 5 draft. Like, usually the winter meetings are good for stirring up conversation and um, leading to trades down the road. But, like, nothing actually ever happens at the winter meetings. It's all, you know, putting stuff in motion for the next few weeks. But... <clears throat> Baseball doesn't really start doing much, especially with its big stars. Like, look look how long a lot of these guys have taken to sign. And that's part of the problem with baseball is that, that they don't have a deadline to sign players. There's no reason to actively go out and make moves until you're forced to because of the, the way the calendar's set up. It's it's, t- it's bad for baseball. But, um, but as far as the Cleveland perspective – this offseason is no different than others other than how it's framed by what other teams are doing. Like there's a good chance Cleveland, if there is no lockout, Cleveland doesn't make a move until January anyway, because that's what they normally do. And if you're saying, well, that's part of the problem. I, I do agree with you, but um, this offseason is no different than that. You can't look at it away, away is from, Oh, all these other teams have done stuff and the Cleveland's done nothing. Look, Cleveland hasn't done anything regardless of a lockout until January and we'll see what happens when the lockout's over and they make a deal. And by the way, before we, you know, move on to other stuff, I will say I, at the, at this point in time, and I, I'm, again, I don't know as much as these reporters. And that's why I wanted to have one on. I hope we still do. 
Um, I, I don't think the lockout will impact games. I think at, at the worst, you'll see like a week of spring trading canceled because of how far the negotiations go. But I would bet around the Super Bowl we have a deal for a new CBA. But, you know, if we if we get to the end of January and it doesn't seem like any progress is made, I'll start to worry. But until then, I'm I feel like, you know, the worst thing that's going to happen is like a week of spring training gets delayed. That's all I can think of. I think they'll give themselves some time in February to make moves. Uh, players need right, to get exactly. located, all of that. They need to take care of their families and stuff. Um, players know that, and so do the owners. And the owners want the players in there. They want them playing. Um, they want them preparing. But they're, you know, they're taking their high ground right now. They're taking their stand, I guess I should say. Um but I do think something gets done. It, it may be late January, but I, I think they'll have at least February too. Guys got to find housing and stuff. You know, they got to move their families if if they're going to do that and make decisions. And, right. and that was part of the reason some of these players signed early because they were motivated to have everything in place for the off season instead of waiting. And then some teams wanted to hop on things and address things right away and get ahead of the market. Does that mean that they probably paid a few million dollars for a second baseman or whatever the position was probably possibly. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a few million dollars that the team probably would have spent somewhere anyhow. And they can probably right. make up for it on another guy that they sign later on. You know, as far as Cleveland goes, um, the roster is full right now. If they're going to make moves, it should be the right moves, not a move for the sake of making a move. I want them to bring in a Kyle Schwarber or Nick Cast. Leonos or Michael Conforto or, or whoever, that would be great. I love the name recognition with those guys. I also hope that they bring in guys that fit the team, fit with what they're doing and aren't blocking players who I believe are part of the future, which are guys like George Valera and Brian Rocchio that I believe will have a place on this, in this organization in, in quick, um, in quick fashion too. Yeah, that, that makes the catching thing interesting because you and I talked specifically about catching. I think obviously that's an area they have to address. I feel like there's no possible way whenever the lockout's over, they can go into spring training with um, Sandy Leone and, and Austin Hedges. That would be a major mistake. So that's the only place I'm a little surprised they were inactive. I thought maybe they'd, they'd shore up catching before the lockout, but you know, even so. But a lot of the options are off the market, so it's going to be a trade. Like I don't, there's no free agent catcher out there. I think that makes any sense for them. They're not good defensively, and even offensively, there's not much to be had. And um, it's going to be. I think it's going to be through a trade. But you're right. Anything they anything they do probably gets addressed through a trade because the roster is full. So you're not gonna you're not gonna DFA any of the guys you just added to the forty. The only thing you're going to do is trade. So, like, yeah, maybe you could DFA, like, a an Ernie Clement or a Yu Chang or a... Um, Logan Allen. Henches. Yeah, Logan Allen, Sam Henches, they're still out there. You can DFA one of them. But more than likely, if you're going to make an addition, it's going to be to trade, like, a, a ho- like we talked about, a Jose Tana or a Gabriel Arias or a Richie Palacios, even though I like Palacios, I could see them. There was some time about DFAing Ch- uh, Josh Naylor. I don't think that's going to happen, but... Um, that's the way it's going to have to happen. And, and that's, again, that's why people were talking about 
adding all these people because it gave them some flexibility before the lockout to make trades. Nothing did happen, but it was, you know, they they added those guys so they could make trades because if you don't make a trade, if you, if you don't add them, you can't make a trade because then the other team can't protect them and they're not as valuable. And as far as, far as the Rule 5 goes, by the way, um, Willie, Baseball America originally reported that the Rule 5 draft was going to be canceled. They have since gone back and said, and I talked to all right. I asked Eric Long at hanging this in a fan graph chat recently. And he said that uh, the term you are using um, indefinitely suspended gives them some wiggle room to cancel the draft at the rule five draft if they have to. But right now everyone seems to think there'll be time to ha- get it in after the CBA before the season starts. But, you know, they're using language to say suspended indefinitely just in case something goes bad with the negotiations and there's no time for it. So, um, it sounds like it, you know, it may happen, but there is a, a possibility it may not. So we'll see. The minor league, the minor league portion is happening on Wednesday at two o'clock. Uh, we can get into that in a second too, which is interesting. Yeah, I'm going to go back to catching really quick, and you know, speculatively, in my mind, when Roberto Perez's option was declined, he was gone. Um, he seemed to put out a comment that he was going to check out free agency, which he should. I'm glad he did. I'm glad he got a good deal with Pittsburgh. And I was not surprised he ended up in Pittsburgh. Um, Gomes got a little bit more money than I thought that he might in terms of years and contracts. Now, it seems like these backup fringe type starters, uh, Manny Pena, who got $4 million, and there was somebody else who signed for $4 million. Um, then Perez got $5 million for a one-year deal. And then Gomez came back, I think $13 million over two with an option year for a mm-hmm. third year. That's not, that's not, um, backup money for Gomes though, you know, and, and that makes me think a uh, Wilson Contreras is still on the market. He only has one year of control, but you know what? If I'm Cleveland, I am willing to trade a prospect essentially or trade the, trade the, availability of a prospect right now for that comp pick that you could receive if you trade for him and then turn around and put that qualifying offer on him and he signs a big contract elsewhere, you still recoup one of the prospects that you got for him and you also fortify your lineup and a position of need too. Um, I'm just going to throw that out there. I think that would be an exciting pickup. I think a lot of fans would be thrilled with that move and the thump that he would bring to the lineup at that position would be tremendous. So, you know, I would I would be willing to go after a guy like a Contreras. My issue is you have one catcher with one year of control, Brian Lavastida and Bo Naylor, and who knows where Bo's bat goes from here. I think he's an excellent defender and he'll be all right. I don't know about his bat, if he'll ever have a major league bat. I believe in him and I believe that he's going to turn things around. I think he's been so focused on catching and the intricacies of the position that he's lost focus on the bat. And that's just me speculating. I've not heard anything. Nobody's ever said that. I've not read that in an article. That's just my opinion. And that's all it is. Um, I still am very high on Bo Naylor. I'm higher on Naylor than I am Lavastida. And I really like Lavastida. I think they're both right around the 10 range and prospect rankings, but you have to fortify this position. If that means extending Austin, Austin Hedges for a couple of years or for a year, um, 
Hedges is 29 years old. He's an excellent defender. You know what he is, and he could be a backup if, say, Lavastida emerged this year and showed out and, and grabbed the starting role, you know. But in the meantime, I don't think that they're going to put a rookie catcher in there anytime soon, probably later half of the season, if at all, this year. Um, and that would have to be because uh, Hedges wasn't performing at the mm-hmm. dish and behind the dish. I think they're worried less there, but they still want to improve that. And, and there's a number of options out there. Um, Atlanta has plenty of depth at the catching position. I threw out Philadelphia, who has some catching depth too, uh, because they picked up two backup catchers um, mm-hmm. in the lead up to the uh, the lockout. And they already had an interesting prospect in Rafael Marchand, who is somebody that I've liked for a while, but they have JT Realmuto back there as their catcher every day. Um, why did they go and pick up two new guys? I think to give themselves options. Um, San Diego has well, on their 40 man roster now too. You might think with the Phillies, if there's a DH coming to the NL, you might be able to have him and Reese Hoskins split time at first base or DH too. So that's, that's true. Um, Absolutely. And Marshawn could take over the starting role there, but that's somebody I would push on, you know, to see if I could potentially pry him away and he could be a long-term answer here, either as a backup or a starter or let the best, best man take the role, you know, and provide more competition, especially when you have questions about what does the future look like at that position? And there's no one going to save the organization that's within the organization right away. Anyways, my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm skeptical about trading for a young catcher because I don't, I don't know what that does for the future of Lavacita or Naylor. Because, like, I think it says if you if you go out and trade for Raphael Marchand, who, by the way, is definitely their type as far as catcher's concerned or hitter because he's a guy with virtually no power um, but makes a lot of contact, doesn't strike out a lot, he will walk, uh, is a good is a good defender from what we know in scouting reports, I haven't seen him play center. So no, I'm just going off scouting reports, but um, that's their type. He's 22. Yeah. what do you think? Can he, is he a good uh, defender? Strong arm. I, that's what caught my attention. And then looking at his profile, as far as getting on base and taking walks. And obviously <laughs> I think one site gave him 30 power, which I think is probably accurate for him. He's not going to hit a lot of home runs, but he's somebody that can pick mm-hmm. it back there defensively. I think that's something that Cleveland would have interest in. Now, you only make that move if you think this guy is our future backup long-term or this guy's going to compete for the starting spot long-term. Then there's other bridge guys that you could potentially bring in. You know, if you can get a, a Reese McGuire from Toronto or Danny Jansen or Alejandro Kirk or I don't well, I think, think Kirk, Gabriel Kirk Moreno be would be available unless we traded Jose, which isn't happening, so... Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could pair a good hitter with hedges maybe, but yeah, my only concern is if you bring in a young catcher, does that say that you're not confident that Lobbesteed or Naylor is going to be your future? Or, you know, do you just do that if you make a good, um, you make a good, I got to, I, okay, real quick, I got to break this. I put out a, a call for questions before we started recording about an hour ago. Uh, and somebody responded, it was RDP, said six hours, please. So Willie, uh, we're, we're 39 minutes in. Can you stop and go tell your wife that we're not going to be done until uh, 1 a.m.? Do you have time for that? <laughs> Let me see. Uh, she's probably not home from work yet. So oh, no. uh, I, I have an alternative idea. 
Maybe if he <laughs> slows down the audio and listens yes, to there it. There you go. I, you know, I'm afraid <laughs> though that would be like playing back something backwards and then hearing some sort of demonic thing telling you to go. Oh and, yeah, don't do that. My voice know. already sounds bad enough. Don't uh, <laughs> don't slow it down and make it weirder. Don't make this weird. Okay. There uh, might be some secret would, mis- hidden messages that we don't know about. No, or do we? We're 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 saying this is an entire subliminal message. Maybe we have things hidden between our words. You never know. <laughs> I just had to get that in. That's hilarious. I I appreciate that someone would want to listen yeah, to it for Wilson six hours. Contreras. I don't. I don't. Cleveland's I, going to trade for Wilson Contreras. Oh, Matt Olson. Matt Olson. Matt Olson. <laughs> if we say it enough, does it come true? Does it come true if you say it like that? I don't know. I I appreciate that someone wants to listen to us for six hours. I don't want to go back and listen to myself for an hour. So listening to me for six hours sounds absolutely miserable. But God bless. Somebody um, asked me if I listened to myself on the podcast, and I said, "No, Lord, no, I'm afraid to." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I it's, um one of one of our buddies who we, who we've gone back and forth on Twitter and has a, a Tigers podcast and runs a Tiger site, uh, Rathelio. Uh, he says he listens to his for quality control, and I I did that uh, initially, and I sometimes I still do just just because, but um, I don't all the time because listening to my own voice nauseates me, and I just I can't stand to do it. Even when I was doing play by play for baseball, just uh, I can't go back and do it. But that's beside the point. But thank you for for listening and wanting to hear even more of us. One of these one of these years, we'll be able to do six hours a week. I don't know. We'll try to make that work. Maybe when the draft comes around. We'll do like a couple three-hour podcasts, but um, all right, where are we? I got off track. Okay, catching, yeah, catching. If you try, if you trade for somebody who's young, I feel like you're not sure about the future of Lavastida or Naylor. But at the same time, if there's a trade out there that makes a lot of sense, you make the trade, you add the guy, and you know what? If you have three catchers you think could be a major league starter, that's a good problem to have. You trade one of them and you source another position up. So maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe you make the trade if it's good, that helps you now. And if, if it creates some positive um, depth for you that you can deal from in the future, then, you know, don't complain. So we'll see yeah, what they do there. I mean, you could pursue a Sean Murphy with Oakland yes. looking to dump salary. I know one of our questions mentioned Chad Pinder, and, and you and I have talked about Lou Trevino numerous times but you could go after a guy like that and attach somebody with a little bit of money and send some quality prospects oakland's way you know that maybe entice them and there you go you have your starting catcher for four seasons assuming Mm -hmm. he stayed here that long or assuming they didn't move in another direction with one of the other guys but i think you give yourself a number of options and depth at catching is a great thing to have in my opinion um, I think it's a very valuable and underrated position in terms of value. Um, I mean, look what Jacob Stallings brought back last week. I, it didn't it didn't blow me away, but it was all quality pieces that Miami traded to Pittsburgh in return for him too. So I think that shows you the value of quality pitching and control, or the the value of quality and controllable catching. And, and he's thirty one. Stallings yeah, is thirty one. Yeah, what what could you do You're if you went right. after somebody younger, or tra- yeah, or you trade somebody like a, a prospect like a Naylor or Lavastida? Could you go out and get well? If you go out and get a Sean Murphy, my my assumption might be that you're trading one of Lavastida or Naylor to Oakland, so maybe that takes care of that. I don't know, and I I'd be for that, but you got to be sure you're trading the right one, um, or you like the one you're keeping. So we'll see. There again, this is what I'm saying: the off season's not over. 
I, I, we don't know when the lockout's going to end. We don't, but um, I would assume they're going to have, no matter what happens, there's going to be a buffer where teams can make moves. And like you said, players got to find new housing and free agents got to sign. So whenever the lockout ends, there's going to have to be at least a month of off season where teams can make moves and players can relocate. So they're not going to be like, Oh, it's, February 20th, the offseason's over, time for spring training, you can't do anything. Like, no, there's going to have to be time to do stuff. They're going to have to push spring training back. But I, I, like I said, I think that they'll have something done in time for the offseason to happen without pushing spring training too ba- back too far or, you know, having to cancel a week. Let me ask you a question there, Justin. Um, can you confirm or have you seen whether general managers can have trade discussions during the lockout? Uh, Jeff Passan wrote a piece like uh, a month ago, maybe three weeks ago, that said he does expect that when the lockout's over, you'll see a flurry of trades like happen and um, will be. And the, and the trade market really hasn't moved yet, outside of a couple of last-minute deals, Hunter Renfro and installing. Right. There were a couple of other guys, but those guys probably would have been non-tendered or or. They had exactly. their options declined, like uh, Tucker Barnhart. His option probably would have been declined in Cincinnati because Cincinnati's cutting payroll. And if you look and see what Cincinnati got back, it was you know a low level prospect who had was at one point in time a high draft choice, but has not panned out on the field. Yeah, which is you know another issue altogether on its own. Um, so yeah, Jeff Passan basically did say that it sounds like the you know he expects a there's an expectation there will be a flurry of moves after the lockout is over whenever that happens. So to me that says that yeah teams can have trade discussions during the lockout. So that means things are happening. But guess what? We can't hear about them because it would be, and then that's why every team sent out an advisory to the media saying hey during the lockout. Um, only these people are, are allowed to talk. Uh, like, so for the Phillies, I think it's their owner and um, like Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff are pretty much unavailable to the media in the meantime. So there's no talking to them. So they can have all these trade discussions and if they somehow get leaked, you know, then uh, the, the teams are in trouble because they're talking about the players during the lockout and that's illegal. So um, you're not going to hear any. That's what stinks for fans. That stinks what stinks for Cleveland because we haven't been linked. They haven't been linked to anybody all winter, which everyone's mad about. So I do think the teams can talk trade during the lockout. They just can't, obviously can't execute them. And they can't. Unless it's uh, minor league talent. You can do minor league right. trade. And anybody that's not on the 40 man roster. Correct. So you could see a, a prospect for a prospect trade if they're not in the 40, like a, a Joey Cantillo for, you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, if they're, if they're on the 40-man roster, those discussions can't get out. Otherwise, there could be trouble. So, but but it'll be obvious, right? Like, if, if um, let's say, let's say Freddie Freeman signs with the Yankees um, when the lockout's over and the Braves the next day trade for Matt Olson, you're telling me the Braves, you know, six, eight, 12 hours after the lockout ended that the trade just happened. No, they were talking about that for weeks. Um, it'll be obvious, but you know, it'll be, and hopefully that's what happens. How fun would it be, Willie, if we get like, let's say, let's say the lockout ends the day after the Super Bowl, and I don't know, five, six trades and a bunch of free agent signings happen that week. It'll be like the week before the lockout all over again, just in February. That'll be fun to before spring training starts. You know, Cleveland makes a trade for Sean Murphy and the Yankees, you know, sign Freddie Freeman and the 
the the Braves trade for Matt Olson. Like all this crazy stuff happens right before spring training. That would be kind of fun. I mean, it, it, it's just one week, and you know, it's going to be frustrating to have to wait that long. But it'd be cool if that happened out of the lockout because at least it would be exciting right before the the spring training starts. But we'll see. Uh, I, I I'd be surprised if you see anything leaked before then, but we'll see. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think we will. Um, I think it would be awesome if we have another flurry of activity just right. almost immediately afterwards and then go on for the next couple of weeks. I think that'll be, that could almost, if this is done right, um, which leave it to major league baseball, it won't anything that involves Rob Manfred. Well, it falls apart. That's my opinion though. Um, moving <laughs> on. <laughs> yeah. Well, we could do a whole podcast on that. Maybe we will. I don't know. We'll see how, how far things go, but, um, Let's see. What else do I want to get to? Oh, rule five. So rule five. So um, during Eric Long and Hangin's fan chat, I asked him two questions. I asked him uh, um, the question about will the rule five draft be happening and would, uh, would, it, would teams have protected differently if there wasn't a rule five draft? So he's the one, one thing he did say is teams protected players as if there would be a rule five draft because if they didn't think there was going to be one, you would have seen them operate very differently. Like Cleveland wouldn't have had to add Jose Tana or Kenzie Noel because uh, they wouldn't have, you know, been at risk. So you would have seen them act differently. So the way teams acted, they acted as if they know there's a rule five draft happening. And the other thing I asked him was about Noel. And I said, um, are you surprised that they signed or they, they added Noel to the roster considering that he's likely to burn two options before he even makes the majors or even is ready. Like there's a good chance that if, if he ever makes the majors, there's a good chance he's going to have no options by the time he gets there, which is dangerous for a power hitter because it takes some time for those guys to adjust at the major league level. Like, you know, Jesus Aguilar that happened to Cleveland. Um, and he said, yeah, I understand the argument based on the options, but um, his sources indicated that if Cleveland had left young kids and Noel unprotected, he would be taken. So that was an interesting piece of news. Um, I thought there, but you know, like you said off the air, it makes sense to add the best players and, and see what happens. And this also gives them the flexibility to trade him if they need to as well. So I mean, maybe maybe it goes to a, a rebuilding organization too. Um, <clears throat> right. We, we know of one right now that could need a new first baseman. They trade him. To let's say Noel is traded to Oakland, Cleveland gets back Sean Murphy and Chad Pinder, right? And and Noel is a part of the package, but Oakland has already traded Matt Olson. Well, they can sign a guy for a year or two and then bring Noel along quicker than we would here. Um, right. You know, there maybe there's a path there, but to me, it was all about protecting your most valuable assets or your best players. And I really like Joey Cantillo. Cantillo, but I think that you can risk losing him because of the two years that he missed, essentially two years anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's still a mid-rotation arm, potentially, probably more of a left-handed reliever uh, at this point after losing a couple of years. Who knows? You know, He may be able to recapture that in this organization. I would trust it. If he went to Tampa Bay, I would trust it. But um, who knows? You know, um, It was definitely an interesting note. And, and Longenhagen spoke to somebody else in that chat um, and she, she was asking about Stephen Kwan and, and he made a comment that caught me off guard which oh, I was saw this, yeah. about Kwan's power. I don't know if you saw that comment or not. 
I did, yeah. Essentially saying that all the power output was uh, contact-focused and um, doesn't think that it will be... It's not, he's not, doesn't have blossoming power. It's just this is probably his max output, and he's getting to it because of the contact, basically. So yep. whatever power he had this year is is his max. Yeah, which is actually, I think, a good thing to see that and for that to develop now. And I think it's a better expectation than what any of us had put out there anyways. But, you know, I've kind of driven home the point about Tyler Freeman being able to get the bat on the ball. That's the case with Stephen Kwan, too, is he has that innate ability to put the bat on the ball and put the ball in play. And, you know, it kills Tyler Freeman because he doesn't always get walks that he should when he places a hit for a single or it goes in as a ground ball out instead, you know, but it's an innate ability. Maybe Freeman learns to make a, a few adjustments and, and gets on base more because he gets more hits and it drives his average up that way, you know, and he hits against the shift, assuming the sh- there is a shift or um, in the future, who knows with the CBA though. <laughs> um, I'm, I don't know what to think about the rule five draft. I was initially confused after seeing, Oh yeah. So seeing that it was going to be canceled. And then I saw that it's going to be there now that we got a minor league. Um, we got a minor league one on Wednesday in specifically baseball. America's article mentions a couple of pitchers from Cleveland. I don't know if you want to talk about those two guys or not. Yeah. So I only pull up the article because, um, I mean, I know who they are. So the two guys, and this is this is kind of, I shouldn't say it's speculation. Baseball America, obviously, is really good. And if you, if you can, if you can afford it, um, I would say support them because they do incredible work. And, um, yeah, they're just a great organization. So I, they, they don't know for sure if these guys are protected. They have a pretty good idea if they are because they do have some sources here. The funny thing about the minor league rule five draft is um, it's 38 guys on a list you can protect um, in addition, obviously anybody on the 40 man roster is not eligible, but there is an additional set of 38 you can protect um, from the minor league portion because the minor league portion, um, once the player's taken, he's gone. You don't get him back. There's no rules on that. So you can, and these lists are almost never public, which is hilarious. I don't know. And and people scouring for them. Those are my kind of people. (laughs) If you're out there looking to see who's on the 38 man protected list, like trying to dig up Intel, you are my kind of person. Um, the, two there guys is a little tip were, on that, though. You and I caught on to, I think, a year or two ago. Yeah. Which is go, looking at you, the rosters and seeing why guys are now all of a sudden assigned to Columbus. And to me, that's a pretty good indication. They're probably protected. That So that hasn't happened yet. I, obviously, I checked today. So the Columbus roster is not updated. So I wonder if it will be before Wednesday. We'll see. But the two guys that were listed on the uh, for the Guardians on their list was Kyle Marmon, who's a, a 13th round reliever from 2018, who throws out of the high arm slot like we've been talking. So, that, Willie, this goes back further than we even know because well, over the last two or three years, you and I have started to notice that they love these pitchers who have this high arm slot. Like it started with James Karinczak, but there's other guys too. And Kyle Marmon. It's always been there guys. and we've been blind to it. Yeah, now now they just have tons. So now it's obvious. Um, so he has the overhand arm slot. He throws um, about 94, 95. Um, has a big curveball, has a slider. 
he did not pitch well this year. He was uh, hurt a couple times, but he has some intriguing characteristics. You know, the high arm slot with the the high fastball in the mid nineties yeah, that has a, some rise. He's a guy that had the UCL tear, and he had the alternative to Tommy John. He just had a UCL repair, oh. which they basically sew, pull it back together, and sew it back together again. And he's been dinged up ever since. But when he was coming into the draft, his draft season, and I don't remember what season that was at this point now, but he was probably a third or fourth round talent, possibly as a starter. And then he had that arm injury and he was showing probably plus control. Um, You know, it just, it's, it's the way guys careers pan out and injuries happen. Ineffectiveness happens with them. They don't develop as you think they would. And that's why he's exposed here. Yeah, and I, I, I saw him pitch this year a couple times, too. It was really interesting, and I can see why somebody would be interested in taking him. And, again, this is a minor league Rule 5 draft. So if you draft a guy like this, you don't have to give him back. You just you have him now. It just costs uh, money. Obviously, yeah, it costs money. And Cleveland obviously has a lot of pitching. So they were like, yeah, well, we can afford to lose these guys. Um, so that's interesting. And then Skylar Arias, who was a, uh, a 24th-round pick in 2016, uh, he's got a, a weird arm slot that he has like a low release. So his fastball has a lot of sink to it and has some spin and um, it's kind of helped it play up, even though he only throws like 93, 92 um, kind of has a change up, kind of has a slider. They're kind of weird pitches. I don't know. He's, he's just a very odd pitcher. Mostly it's just the sinker and the change up that are, that make him interesting with his weird left-handed arm slot that someone might say, well, this could throw batters off and um, it could play above, you know, you're looking, basically you're looking for oddities. You're looking for not to quote Moneyball or the the movie, but like a uh, remember Chad Bradford, Evan was like, Oh, this guy should be one of the best relievers in the league, but because he throws 89 and he throws submarine, like he can cost you nothing because nobody wants this guy. That's basically what the minor league rule five draft is, is you're looking for a guy that, you know, he could be a major league reliever and you can get him for like $25,000 because somebody left him unprotected, but he has some sort of weird, weird thing about his delivery that makes him effective. (laughs) So you're, you know, you're looking for the the market inefficiency. So those are the two guys that are on there. I I do have an idea who, who isn't protected and I can, I, I don't want to say it because of where I got it from, but if you ask me about a certain player, I can tell you whether or not, they are on the list or if they aren't on the list that I can tell you, there's not a lot of big names that are not on the list that are, that are exposed. Yeah. <laughs> so you're telling me Daniel Johnson was exposed. <laughs> uh, no, Daniel Johnson did not, did not get exposed. Well, okay. I think, I think if you're in triple a already, I think uh, you're automatically protected. Possibly. Unless you it's usually the guys that, that are in low A that are, that are picks in this or guys that have been in double A. Uh, Cleveland got to the left-hander. Danny Young, I think it was, from Toronto a couple years Danny ago. Danny Young. La- last year was Chris Roller, the outfielder from the Dodgers. That's right, from the Dodgers. Um, they got him. Yeah. So basically nobody above double A. Yeah, mostly it's high A guys in low A. There's been some talent selected in the Rule 5 minor league portion. Minor league portion. Too. Guys that have actually panned out to, as major league players. I know Omar Navarez is the first one that comes to mind. Uh, Tyler Gilbert, who threw a new hitter for the Diamondbacks last year. He was one of them. Um, It looks like uh, they listed some other guys in here. 
uh, past years was Justin Bohr, who used to be a left-handed first baseman. Um, Ryan Thompson, who's a reliever. Alejandro Diazza, who was a you know a, a fifth outfielder for a few years. So, um, yeah. So it is interesting, but there are there there just aren't a lot of guys that are protected that are of note for this organization. Um, some guys I just forgot were even in the organization, to be honest with you. But hey, there's going to be some kind of rule five, and I I don't know if. Uh, I don't know if Cleveland has a full 38 protected, so they could take somebody, I suppose. But if you have 38 protected, you can't take anybody. Uh, I guess we'll see Wednesday. Wednesday at 2 o'clock. If if you are a Rule 5 diehard, Wednesday at 2 o'clock, there will be a minor league Rule 5 draft. And if I can find a link to the report, they used to do it on the the internet. Like they used to have a live stream on the internet on LB.com. of the rule five. I don't know if it includes the minor league portion, but if it does, I'll be listening and I will be tweeting. So, uh, follow me for that. <laughs> Cause I have nothing better to do. That's where we are at this lockout. Um, anything else? Will you want to get to some questions before we get out of here? Do you have anything else you want to throw out there? Nah, I'm, uh, I'm into questions. All right, let's do questions. Hey, let's, let's talk about, we're, we're, we are allowed to talk about major league players. The teams may not be allowed to talk about them because if you go to MLB.com's website, um, no content and no pictures of them are, are allowed to be on there, which is hilariously petty and stupid. But we're allowed to talk about them. So this question comes from Rick Mahew, who is Pars List on Twitter. If you don't follow Pars List, which is P-A-R-S List on Twitter, um, he does a lot of um, – it's a formula. I can't really explain it because it's complicated and – He's, I would, I would not do it a good service if I tried to explain it. Basically he has a formula and he uses it to kind of point out good prospects based on some stats and some other things he plugs into it. You should follow him because it's really fun and interesting. And he's also a really good writer and a good prospect uh, analyst. But he asked us, do you see a starting role for Josh Naylor or is he doomed to be an up and down player? Woodley, what do you think is the future for Josh Naylor in Cleveland? That's hard because of the injury. Um, I think he's probably going to end up a first baseman. I felt like he was probably on the verge of breaking out, and now we'll never know. I have liked Naylor for a long time. I think he's been overhyped, if that's possible, is because he was a first-round talent. Um, and he's somebody, as I said, I've liked for several years. I liked him when he was coming into the draft. But, you know, he, I think he went higher than he should ha- have, and I think people have expected more from him than possibly they should. Right now, I just don't know. I, I think it's too uncertain of a future with him to commit to anything. Um, I, I do think they will hold on to him for now, and we'll see where they go. You know, I did throw around the idea of designating him for assignment, depending on, of course, how far along he was in his recovery. And now having seen him doing some running and stuff, he's further along than I thought he might be. But I think the recent thing that I saw out there is he may it may be June before he's ready to play. So. Who knows at this point? Um, I really would be noncommittal on him right now. Yeah, uh, he just has a ton of power. Max exit velocity of 114 um, this past year. So that is like, like, yeah, Kenzie Noel hits the ball that hard. Like his max exit velocities are about 114, 115, and that's where Naylor is. So that tells you how much power Naylor has. Um, it's just he's got to get the ball in the air. He had a... Uh, a 49% ground ball rate this year. So he's hitting balls in all the wrong places. And that's been his issue since he was a prospect. He just doesn't get the ball in the air enough. But he doesn't strike out a lot. He doesn't walk a ton. 
and you know he doesn't have a home defensively. So that's the hard part is um, you bring him back as a you know like you said if he's not ready by April you put him back on the sixty and you figure that out. Um, if you don't bring somebody in, Bobby Bradley's the first baseman. You kind of let him sink or swim. And then I don't know. It's it's hard to believe that he'll have enough mobility. You know, he wasn't a great outfielder before the injury. I can't imagine he's going to be better after. That's a problem. So, yeah, it's going to be hard. I think I think it's going to come down to what kind of moves Cleveland makes in the offseason at this point. And um, if he's not able to play the outfield, they've got to figure out if it's him or Naylor at first base. Because, surprise, you know, remember like a week before, two weeks before um, the lockout, we heard, oh, Fernando Reyes is going to go to the Dominican Republic and he's going to play with uh, with his team out there and he's going to play the outfield and he's going to trim some weight and he's going to be more mobile and Cleveland won't have to um, have a dead spot at DH and, and they'll I've have a... I've heard that somewhere before. Yeah, I feel like I've heard that once or twice in my life. And uh, I guess, I don't know if it was his agent or whatever, but someone said, hey, you shouldn't play because you have arbitration coming up. You don't want to get hurt, you know, yada, yada. So he's not playing. Um, so it's up to him to to work in the outfield wherever he can work out at and, you know, maybe drop some pounds again and, and be more mobile. But we've heard this for two years now and it hasn't happened. So um, it'd be, it would be great for Cleveland if, if Reyes could play the outfield a couple days a week and you could open up DH because then you could carry Naylor and, and Bradley and kind of figure out who you like between the two because uh, Naylor, well, you know what? Naylor's got three options. Bobby Bradley is going to have no options. So, Hey, maybe it's not a surprise to see Josh Naylor go back to the minors. I don't know. He's got nothing to prove down there. He's 20, 24 years old. He's got to play in the major leagues at some point. So I, yeah, I think you're right. The injury kind of puts him in no man's land. I, I'm, I have a hard time believing it's going to be a fit because, you know, if he's going to play first base because of the injury, he's got to get the ball in the air more. He's got to hit some home runs and that's going to take a swing change and hasn't happened yet. So until, until he has a swing change, I think he's destined to be an up and down guy. That's got a lot of talent. Our next question is from uh, Ohio Jaguar blaze on Twitter. Who's also Michigan fan. So, Hey, congratulations to you. Um, still bitter. <laughs> Uh, biggest sleeper prospect that could help the Guardians in 2022? Uh, oof. That's a loaded question, Willie. What do you think? Well, Nick and Wright. Oh, oh, we're doing oh, we're doing relievers. Okay. Uh, I mean, he's a uh, sleeper. That's, he's, that's probably who you would no. have said. Yeah, no, he's a sleeper. Uh, okay, I, I guess from an outsider's perspective, Nick Mikolajek is a sleeper. To us, he's probably not. He's not to me. That's why I didn't mention him. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I guess. I guess anybody on the forty can't be a sleeper at this point, right? Probably not. Does Carlos Vargas still count as a sleeper, even though he's on the forty? Hey, hey, you know he's kind of been forgotten. Some people have said they should DF him. I think it's fair. I think it's in play that he's a, a sleeper. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, give me, give me. Um, Give me Carlos Vargas as a reliever, as a sleeper this year. What about Tobias Myers, too? Uh, um, you know, maybe he yeah, comes in yeah. and comes out in the bullpen. I, I, for, I would for sure put him in the bullpen because I, I think he has some characteristics that would totally work there. Um, and even a guy that. like Connor Pilkington, you know, I know expectations have been low for him, but he might be a very good fifth starter and a left-hander yeah. at that. You know, hey, it doesn't hurt. 
for sure. Um, so that's fun. I, you and I have both been wanting Carlos Vargas though, to be in the bullpen for two years, even before we had Tommy <laughs> John. So I'm, I'm ready to see it, man. I love that kid's arm. I'm ready. Yeah. Uh, first, let's that's see. Flatter. Yeah, really. Uh, did the blaze ask us two questions? Did I miss this? Uh, Three. First to the majors. Oh, yes, three. Okay. <laughs> first to the majors. Gavin Williams or Daniel Espino? Uh, this is more your area, Willie. Who's first to the majors between those two? So, full disclosure, I like both of these guys a lot. When these Cleveland are Willie's drafted, guys, for sure. <laughs> when Cleveland drafted Gavin Williams last year, I said Williams is the one arm that could push Espino out of the top slot as far as in terms of upside and projectability as a front of the rotation type of arm. I know a lot of people have thrown that on Espino, and I think some people think that he's going to end up being a reliever. I still think he's very young and has plenty of development time in front of him. Um, he ended the season very well in Lake County, in my opinion. I think Gavin Williams ultimately will beat Espino to the big leagues, partly because he is older. He is more polished. Um, by two years and his stuff is just nasty. Um, you know, you may end up with a two or a three starter between those two of them and a two and a three starter between those two. And, and maybe one's a one, maybe one's a two. I don't know, but I think Williams beats Espino and, and I think they'll eventually be at Akron together. And I think they'll probably be at Columbus together, but I think Williams will surpass Espino because Espino needs that work on that change up and that fastball is hittable still, even though he brings it in there screaming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, boy, I would hate to be an, an, a hitter playing double A this year, having to play Akron. If it's uh, a Spino and um, Gavin Williams for, I, I think you and I, I think you agree. If Cleveland dropped Gavin Williams into Akron to start the minor league season, I don't think he'd miss a beat. I think he's ready. They'll probably start him in Lake County, but I think you and I both think he's good enough to, to pitch in double A from day one and be more than ready to. Yeah. I said that to you the day that they took um, East Carolina played Vanderbilt. I said he could strike out guys in a double I double A lineup with his quality of stuff. Mm -hmm. That fierce of a competitor. I love how physical he is on the mound. He is a presence on that mound. And, you know, I just think he's an impressive pitcher. I I can't say enough good things about him. I guess. (laughs) I I am here for a rotation in Cleveland one day of Gavin Williams, Daniel Espino, uh, Logan T. Allen, Peyton Battenfield, uh, man. I mean Peyton Battenfield, and and I don't know, round it out with uh, <laughs> I don't know Connor Pilkington or or Cody Morris if possible, or or uh, Eli Morgan, <laughs> uh, Eli Morgan if you have to. Yeah, that man, I I would be so pumped for that. That'd be so fun to watch. Doug, no, I'm sorry, Doug Nikhazy has got to be a five yeah. starter. Aaron Davenport, I mean, yeah, Tommy Mace. Yeah. Who knows who it Tommy ends up Mace. being? But... <laughs> yeah, it, the pitch. Talking about pitching this organization is just so much fun. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for the minor league season already. Even though I hate to say it, minor leaguers uh, are getting left out in the cold in the CBA thing, and I hate it. But uh, you're trading. Last, last question from Blaze. Um, you're trading for a controllable player, but you must include one of Gabriel Arias, Brian Rocchio, or Tyler Freeman. Which one is it? Out of that group, I'm trading Gabriel Arias. I know that's controversial maybe to some, but I'm I'm trading him out of those three if I have to trade for uh, a Matt Olson or a Brian Reynolds. That's my – I would trade Arias. I like all three of them. 
As far as my ranking goes, personally, Rokio is number two in the organization. I'm not moving off of him. It would take a lot. Freeman falls right behind him because I believe in the bat. I know he's had two shoulder injuries. Arias, I told you there's something about him. He doesn't have the it factor for me. He has a tremendous arm. He may be another, um, what's his name, Orlando Arcia, uh, that plays for the Braves now. Um, he's a, a a quality prospect, but I there's something about him that I'm just not comfortable with yet, and I like the development that he's made. Uh, it's been impressive seeing how well he did this year in AAA at such a young age, too. But there's an it factor for with him. There's something about him that I can't put my finger on that I haven't bought into yet. And he would be a player. And I think he's going to be a major league player. Don't get me wrong. I, I think he's an excellent defender and has a huge arm. Um, but I just don't see him as the guy in Cleveland for whatever reason. You know, maybe it's me. I, I do need new glasses. So there's that. Um <laughs> I'm not denying it. I probably have to switch to bifocals. So, you know, life is catching up to me very fast. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's that. Maybe I need a better Mm -hmm. screen on the TV or a bigger screen TV. That's it. I need a bigger screen TV. (laughs) We all need bigger TVs. Let's be honest. We all need bigger TVs. Um, I I did see someone on Twitter. I would answer that question, Justin. You would? I would. Yeah. Yeah. I like the upside of the other guys a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I saw someone on Twitter did try to say the other day that Arius was a bad defender, which was pretty funny to see. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I'm just not convinced of the bat. I'm very concerned about the bat just being very below average, the major league level and, and just being all defense. I think I, the, the comp is what Orlando Arcia, a lot yeah. of offensive potential, but he never gets to it. So, yeah, that's why I, I, would I trade say him. he's a 240, 250 hitter. Yeah, and how much of that power, you know, what is he getting, 20 home runs out of that? You know, yeah. that would be great. 20 Not home runs me. would be great. That, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, Arias, uh, let's move on. We got this is Quincy, uh friend of the podcast. By the way, you should check out Quincy's podcast, the uh, uh, Cleveland – it's the Guardians fan cast. Um, doing, doing it from a fan's perspective, that's a lot of fun. I know uh, Pat Ellington was on there recently talking about his Valera article, so that was fun. And Quincy does a good uh, job. Said, I listen. I gave him a listen too. And uh, shout out yeah. to Quincy for doing a good job there. Yeah, he's a lot of fun. He's a, a good baseball fan, and you know has helped out with us writing at times too. And he may again this year. And um, he wanted to know told, Quincy could answer some of the questions that he poses to us. But I think he that's, likes that's the a discussion. great point. I think Quincy just wants a uh, an extra opinion, which hey, that's always good. But yeah, he probably could answer a lot of his own questions. But it's fun. Let's go back and forth. Uh, Josh Bell or Chad Pinder? Any interest as? A cheaper option in left field. Well, Josh Bell in left field looks uh, pretty scary. I got, I'm not going to lie. I'm not sure I love Josh Bell in left field. But as a hitter, as a cheap trade option, like if you're not, you don't have to give up a lot to get him, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. But watching him in left field, uh, oof, that's going to be rough if he has to play left field in Cleveland. You know, I would buy down that salary and give them a little bit of a better prospect. Just because I don't see where Josh Bell's worth $10 million. That's my opinion. That's a great point. Well, I would I would send a better prospect that way, bring him back if they could get that down to seven million or five million. That's a lot more reasonable for Cleveland. And um, I believe it was Susan Slucer from the Athletic mentioned Chad Pender a year or two ago as a player that Cleveland has inquired about multiple times. Yep. Um, 
he is a versatile guy that can play, I think, all three outfield spots and maybe a little bit of infield from my memory. But he's somebody with one year of control and his last year of arbitration, and I think he's projected under $3 million. I think that's right in Cleveland's wheelhouse if they want to get a platoon guy for a, another potential outfielder. I'm not going to say anybody's name, Jesse Winker, but um, <laughs> <laughs> there's options there. Those are good alternatives. I like I like that Quincy threw those guys out there. Um, you know, I'm looking at Chad Pender's stats right now, and you know what I'm thinking? He is the um, the Walmart version. Nothing nothing against Walmart, but the Walmart version, or okay, the generic. Let's say it better. The generic brand version the of Chris store. Taylor. He's the, he's the dollar store version of Chris Taylor. He strikes out a little bit. He walks a little bit. He plays a lot of positions. Um, he's he's not as good offensively. That's the light part of it, I guess. But um, yeah, he's kind of the 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 the, the dollar store version of. of Chris Taylor, you're not getting as good offense, but he plays every position well, and um, you know he's a decent. I'll offer them Ernie Clement. You know they get six years or five years of control, whatever it is, for a utility man who's probably going to be a a decent utility man throughout his career. But I would make an offer like that. Yeah, so that's that's a good that's a good fit. So yeah, if 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 Oakland's looking to dump, he is making uh, what about three million this year? It looks like a little more than three million coming up in 2022. Or yeah, I would. I would go for that. Um, Josh Bell in 51 innings in left field, by the way, for uh, the Nationals in 2021. Uh, plus two, actually. Defensive run saved. Only a negative 5.8 in UZR 150, which I'm, I'm not really sure how I'm feeling about UZR 150 these days because you do need a larger sample for that. But um, not as bad as defensively as I, I thought he would be. So maybe... It won't be the worst thing in the world, but I'm with you there. I think you're right. $10 million for Josh Bell. Kind of out on that. Send a better prospect, get him to pay half of it, and uh, add somebody else. But, yeah, I'm interested in both those guys for the right price. I think I think they're nice fits. The, the problem is, you know what everyone's going to say? Well, that can't be their only move, but, you know, <laughs> right, but, it can't be their only you know, move. Even, even, let's say they brought in Chad Pinder as, as the outfield option and decided to wait until midseason to review. Obviously, you make that kind of move because you couldn't get a deal done with somebody else. You know, maybe it's because the price is through the roof, or it's just there. The supposed trade partner is just being ridiculous in terms of, you know, how they're valuing their player. Let's say Cincinnati is valuing Jesse Winker since he's getting a lot of traction here lately. Um, what if their demands are Brian Rocchio and Daniel Espino for him? That's just ridiculous. You know, that's not, oh, no way. first of all, you're not yeah. getting one of those players. So don't even bother asking about two. So, right. Not for a two year. The thing is player, you never right. know what another team is asking for, how they value your prospects. And I think I've learned in the last couple of days, how difficult it be, can be to actually pull off a trade where you find equal value or you find value with that potential trade partner. Yeah. Since and, and it's been a while since they made a move with Cincinnati, so who knows where they're at. Familiarity always helps, as we've said before. You know That's why Cleveland trades with Tampa Bay so much. That's why they've been trading with San Diego so much. Familiarity always helps. Uh, I got two more. Uh, Zach, Fino MVP, one of our favorite guys on Twitter, favorite fans. Um, which minor league team are you guys most excited to watch next season and why? Wow, that's also a loaded question. Well, we think that at some point, Gavin Williams and Daniel Espino are going to be together in Akron, hopefully. Um, gosh, Lake County is going to have oh, Lenny Torres. Class. 
oh yeah, you're gonna have Doug Nikhazy and Tommy Mace and um uh right, Jack Leftwich. Yeah, um, Jack Leftwich. Ethan Hankins might start there if he gets back from injury. Vargas um, could. I mean Carlos it, it, Vargas could start there. It's gonna be a, a fun year. I just wish Lynchburg was closer. <laughs> I know. They're going to be interesting. I mean, you're going to have, what, Alexi Fuentes is going to be in Lake County. Um, Angel Martinez, Gabriel, I don't know. Gabriel Rodriguez might, I could see him repeating Lynchburg to start. PD Halpin will be in Lynchburg, which, of course, we know everyone's going to be selling out Classic Park because Lake County's going to have PD Halpin. Come on, he should start the season in AAA, Justin. He should, yes. Yes, he is so close to the majors. Um, <laughs> I could see Connor. Co- I don't know. I could see Connor Cox starting in Lake County because he's a yeah. college bat. So we'll see. Um, Vance Dye at the park like, too. So does does Jan Kenzie Noel start the year in Lake County? Does he start in Akron? Because there's probably no first baseman in Akron if he doesn't go to Akron. Uh, Joe Naranjo is not ready for Double A, but Jan Kenzie Noel might be. So Akron's probably. You know, here's the other thing too. Ryan Rocchio could be pushed back to Akron because if you still have Arias and you still have Clement and you still have a bunch of other guys, Rokio could start the year in Akron again because of depth. Jose Tena is going to be there. Um, Noel might be there. So yeah, I don't know. Akron might be the move this year. They might be the best team. Lake County was last year. At at some point in time, they're going to have a lot of talent on that roster in Akron. And even Columbus is going to be fun because you're going to have Palacios there Juan and other guys that are going to come through there at some point in time. All of that pitching depth, Cody Morris, Peyton Battenfield, Logan T. Allen, who knows where Tanner Burns goes. Maybe, maybe to double a, you know, and yeah. And Tobias Myers, Eli Morgan. There's just a ton of depth, a lot of fun arms that should be in Columbus this year too. So, I mean, I don't think you can go wrong with any of the, with any of the affiliates, you know, there's going to be talent to watch, especially on the pitching side. Um, But there's, okay, let me, let me throw this out here to you. Um, the projected starting rotation next year for the Orioles is John Means, Jordan Lyles, Bruce Zimmerman, Keegan Aiken, and Zach Lothar. The AAA rotation for Cleveland for, or Columbus might be Eli Morgan, Connor Pilkington, Cody Morris, Tobias Myers, Peyton Battenfield, or impossibly if they don't lose him, Adam Scott. Um, maybe which Joey of those Cantillo. rotations are you? And Joey Cantillo, and maybe maybe Logan T. Allen. Which of those rotations do you want? Do you want Baltimore's or do you want Columbus's? Baltimore has two interesting pitchers. And, I, <laughs> and I'm talking about I'm not I'm not saying triple A. I'm saying which of those rotations do you would you rather see compete against major league talent? Do you want to see Columbus's or do you want to see uh Bruce Zimmerman and Jordan Miles and Keegan Aiken? Man, that's tough. I I because I'm Bias, maybe. I don't know. I I think Cleveland's guys in Columbus are going to be more interesting than what Baltimore is about to run out there. It means is a good pitcher, obviously. And I think mm-hmm. Aiken is interesting too. It's just personal preference there, but yeah, you know, um, I don't think I've ever seen Bruce Zimmerman to be honest with you. I didn't I know, know he was an actual player until today. <laughs> yeah, but and, but and see, you, you have to Lowers, question it, don't you? Know? you? You have to question it, right? You can't just say, well, obviously Baltimore. Like that's, I, I think, you know, you know I, I think Cleveland's guys could actually go out there and put up equal or better numbers if you stack that rotation against each other. 
Yeah. I think Cleveland's guys are that good that they could compete at the major league level. I think all, all of those guys can. I think Battenfield will I know. really excite people when they see him. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to get down to Columbus this year. I think uh, for a couple trips. Now that I work from home permanently, I can uh, leave early, work from a hotel room, and just uh, get over to the game after. But um, oh gosh, what was I gonna say? I lost my train of thought there. But yeah, Columbus is gonna be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, I was gonna go back. I know Logan T. Allen's not a sleeper as far as the prospects concerned, but if you ask me, which guy down on the forty man roster I think is gonna pitch. This year for Cleveland, I think it could be Logan T. Allen. I'm I'm all in on that train. I would throw out Nick <laughs> Miklochek and possibly Nick. Oh Allen. yeah, for sure. Um, Miklochek should be a midseason call up in my opinion. He's ready. He has the control. That fastball, curveball. Um, I mean, I, I think potential setup man with him. So I really like him and have since they drafted him. Mm-hmm. All right, last one. Uh, this one is from. Melanie on Twitter, who also uh, has her own podcast now on Guardians uh, of the Future. Or no, what is our podcast called? Guardians of the CLE Podcast. That's us. We're Guardians of the Future. They're Guardians of the CLE uh, <laughs> Podcast. Okay. Justin, are you tired? <laughs> really? I know it was a long work day for you. It has been a long day. This is our last question, thankfully. Uh, Melody wanted to know, who do you believe the Guardians view as the shortstop of the future? Which infielders on the roster are most likely moved before the season? I... I'm going to say Rokio. I think they think Rokio is the future at shortstop. That's my guess. I agree. I think Rosario ends up traded either at the deadline or next off season. I think they, he will be the opening day starter for the organization. Uh, Jimenez will be your second baseman. Um, I think Rokio is the future at shortstop. And I think they could possibly trade Jose Tena off of the 40 man roster or, or even Gabriel Arias whichever it takes mm-hmm. to get a big piece in, in a trade. I do think that they'll pursue that, whether that happens now or at the deadline, I don't know, but I do think they'll, they're motivated to make a trade and they have the prospect depth to do so. I would agree. I, I wonder, is that what we think and we want them to think, or is that what they actually think? That's my only thing. Cause we obviously like Brian we Rocchio. are trying to will it into existence. So if yes, we say this fair. enough, I think it has to happen, right? That's how that works. So, well, it's yeah, kind of like the subliminal messages we were sending earlier. Matt Olson. Yes, exactly. Wilson Contreras. Brian, Brian Rocchio is the future. Matt Olson. Matt Olson. <laughs> Jesse Winker for very cheap. I don't know. Brian Reynolds. <laughs> Brian Reynolds. All right. Well, thanks for all the questions. We appreciate you all listening. Uh, we're about an hour and a half in, and uh, there's been nothing happening, but we still found an hour and a half to talk about baseball. So that's great. Um, so if he listens to this four times, that's six hours. That's true. That is true. So just listen to it four times and then uh, let us know how those six hours were for you. And then we'll. And I guarantee he hears something he didn't catch the first time. Probably something stupid I said, point. but you know. <laughs> yeah. So Or same here. Something I didn't pronounce correctly or uh, is being very stupid about. I don't know. I'm sure there's always something or something he just didn't understand when I said because I talked too fast. All right. Well. I think that about covers everything. Uh, we didn't have a podcast last week, and uh, we covered a lot this week. And I don't know if we'll have one next week. We'll see what happens if there's any news. We have stuff we want to talk about. Um, so maybe we'll maybe we'll get into some uh, reserve content that we've been talking about for a few weeks and uh, you know, have some fun that way. 
Uh, if you got this far and you're not following any of us on Twitter, that's crazy. But um, I'm at JL underscore baseball. Willie is at W I L L H O O 99. Official underscore C G B I on Twitter, as I said before. Guardians Baseball Insider.com. Sign up to be an insider. Um, if you haven't already, if you are not one of the 5,000 people that have read Willie's uh, 2022 Way Too Early Mock Draft, then go do that because uh, that is quickly becoming our most read article of 2021, uh, right right above Pat's uh, feature on George Valera, which you haven't read. If you haven't read that, that's a fun one. Um, yeah, we got prospect stuff coming out. We just finished the uh, best tools in the system for 2021 series. That's, that is not an insider piece. You can read that for free. Um, we just wrap that up. We're going to have the top 10 in each position coming out soon. I don't know if it's going to be a top 10 because um, there are some positions that are really bad and we can't get to 10. So it might be a top whatever we can get to. And then, um, oh yeah, you know what? I'm planning a piece on uh, looking at the, the prospect graduates of 2021. So I'm going to go back and evaluate the guys who graduated off our list this year. Um, so that's it. That'll be an insider piece. Go look out for that next week or maybe this week if I get it done. And yeah, feel free to sign up. It's uh, four ninety nine a month. Uh, you know, it doesn't really pay our bills, but you know, it allows us some time to do stuff like this and uh, justify it to our significant others that we're not wasting two hours a day doing this, right, Willie? <laughs> <laughs> I got I got eighty bucks for this, so I can uh, I can justify spending two hours on this. You know, <laughs> I, I haven't convinced my wife yet. Okay, well, see, I'm working, on, Willie it. I'm working can, on it. Willie can convince his wife that this two hours is well spent if we can get him some more money for doing this. So, yeah, yeah um, I think Starbucks gift card or something may win her over. Um, I hope she didn't hear me say that. <laughs> yeah. Christmas, Christmas is coming up, so that's if right. You're a diehard baseball fan, and you want uh, you want to hear. You know what, Artie, Artie, if you are not a subscriber to GuardiansBaseballInsider.com, you want us to do six hours. Get six of your friends to sign up, and uh, maybe we can make that happen because Willie will have enough money from this to convince his wife that he can spend six hours doing this. We'll find out. I don't know. Go sign up. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, yeah, well, hopefully we'll catch you next week. Wow.